0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: The unlock phenomenon is ultimately a pretty transitory phenomenon. What seems more significant to me is simply acknowledging how tied into the run-up the GBTC nav trade was in the first place. In other words, the most bearish thing about Grayscale isn't the set of unlocks, it was the shift from a premium to a discount and the consequent loss of perhaps the biggest buying pressure we had in the space. That helped stop the momentum going into the absolute barrage of FUD that characterized the last quarter. Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The Breakdown is sponsored by Nidig and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Thursday, July 8th, and today we are talking about the latest, greatest debate on Bitcoin Twitter. Are the grayscale Bitcoin trust unwinds bullish or bearish for Bitcoin? Now, as you will well know, I talk a lot on this show about the big picture. Global macro, large patterns of history, where Bitcoin fits as a disruptive force, how that disruption is connected to other larger global trends. I mean, hell, I actually used 15th century Genoese merchant networks as a reference point yesterday. And frankly, it took all my resolve not to go more in depth about how Italian merchants use social capital and social networks as the grounding for some of the earliest modern economic instruments. And you get the point. I love some good historical context and I love big patterns. However, hopefully, you've also heard me explain why, because I'm so inclined towards macro, patternistic explanations of things, I'm always trying to check that impulse with data, and with other explanations that don't necessarily involve some grand narrative or great pattern of history. In particular, when it comes to Bitcoin and the crypto markets as a whole, I try to spend a little more time on market structure. To better understand what I mean, let's take an example of one of the market crashes earlier this year when, after some combination of Elon backing off BTC and China announcing some ban… Bitcoin spent the weekend dumping from around 42 k all the way back down under 30 k The narrative explanations of this were plentiful. Elon not only triggered the ESG folks with his new line of environmental inquiry, he also scared off the institutional and treasury investors who had previously been using Tesla as a model. China was setting pace for how governments were going to start banning Bitcoin. And so on and so forth. Here's the thing. It's not that these narratives were wrong it's that they didn't explain the drama of the move down we saw. Remember when I had Travis Kling on the show a few months ago? His main thesis, the thing that was frustrating him then, was the disingenuous nature of a new set of critics. These critics all effectively shared one thing in common. They pointed to one area of FUD or risk and said, because of this concern, Bitcoin is worth nothing. You should be far, far away. Travis's point was that as a capital allocator, your job is to price risk, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So to put what happened that week before such a massive rapid drop in those terms, the larger risk that these events represented was real. But the price of that risk was absolutely not a 30% drop in a couple of hours. Now, for that, there had to be some other explanation. There was. For some time now, crypto markets have been led by derivatives not stop trading, and a big part of crypto trading is trading with leverage. When prices moved quickly down like they did that day, many accounts got margin called and ultimately liquidated. In other words, because of the terms of the exchanges they were trading with, their collateral got liquidated to cover their losses. This happened automatically, and as such, ruthlessly and without feeling. And most importantly, without regard for the price at which the sale happened. One impact of that was that the liquidations were cascading. That automated forced selling had to move to lower and lower prices to complete their trades, and as that happened, still others got liquidated and so on and so forth all the way down. To listen to someone like Sam Tribuco from Alameda Research discuss this particular event on Luke Martin's podcast, what the market wanted to do that day was go from 42k or so to around 40k or so. But that 39K or 40K level had been a key level of a lot of people entering the market on the way up, meaning that it was a key trigger point for liquidations on the way down. The rest of that 40K to 30K drop wasn't panic selling, it was forced selling. So, to sum this all up, there was a narrative element to that big weekend crash a repricing of the risk based on ESG and China concerns around Bitcoin from about 42K to 40K. But the 25% drop that happened after that was all market structure and leveraged liquidations. So with that setup, let's discuss the market structure question that has most been on people's minds this week. And that is the question of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust GBTC unlocks. Let's actually return one more time to that Travis Kling interview and let's play his epic list of all of the risks that exist around Bitcoin
0: So much risk present in this. I spent my whole career in traditional investing and I stepped into this thing and I was just like, holy shit, there's risk all over the place in this. There's layers of risk, systemic risk, opaque risk, unknowable risk, whales, miners, Tether, Tether court cases, podcasts about Tether, blog posts about Tether from anonymous sources, counterparties, price manipulation, regulation exchange hacks, custody hacks, user data hacks, Project Hacks, Global Macro, Hard Forks, BitMEX Death Spirals, Stop Runs, Exit Scams, Other Scams, Scammers, Aggressive Market Makers, GBTC Nav Trade unwinds, Sim Swaps, Code Bugs, Trump Tweets, False Rumors, True Rumors, Tech Obsolescence, Rehypothecation, Forced Sellers, Legal Actions, Liquidity Crunches, Market Illiquidity, Brad Sherman's Punk Ass, (laughs) Satoshi's million Bitcoin, exchange order glitches, bad data, President Xi. And that's not even close (laughs) to an exhaustive list of the risks that are present. But over its history, Bitcoin's up like 11 million percent. So you've gotten paid for the risk that you've taken so far.
1: One in that list that maybe flew a little under the radar then, because this was February 6th, was this idea of a GBTC Nav trade unwind. So what, PrayTel, was the GBTC Nav trade? What is its unwind, and what might it mean for markets? Well, before we talk about the Nav Trade, we should talk about what the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is. However, I suppose before that, a couple of disclosures are in order. The first is that Grayscale is owned by the Digital Currency Group, the same company that owns Coindesk. The second is that I'll use this as a chance to remind listeners that while Coindesk is an unbelievable production, distribution, and sales partner of the show, the breakdown is 100% entirely editorially controlled by me. I own the IP, I make the decisions about the topics, and that was built in from day one into the terms of our partnership. Part of what I appreciate so much about these guys is that they respected that independence right from the get go. So the point of that is that when I talk about Grayscale, it's because it's relevant, not because there's some larger overlapping interest. All right. With that out of the way, back to what the Bitcoin Trust actually is. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is one, the biggest Bitcoin fund in the world, and two, the historical leader in letting public market investors get exposure to BTC via a public market vehicle. The way it works is that accredited investors are able to buy shares of the fund directly in daily private placements, and then sell them on secondary markets after a six-month lockup. The way that the share buying works is that people buy Bitcoin and contribute it to the trust and get the equivalent amount of shares in return. These secondary market shares have the ticker GBTC, and historically, GBTC has tended to trade at a premium to the spot Bitcoin price, aka the net asset value, NAV, of the underlying. Why? Well, it's simple. Right now, you can't invest in Bitcoin with your 401k, at least not without some instrument like GBTC. What's more, buying and selling Bitcoin directly has implications for custody. There are some institutional investors who want to be able to buy big chunks of Bitcoin without slippage due to crypto exchange illiquidity. There's also tax clarity, which goes back to the 401k argument. The point of all of this is that there are many investors, for many reasons, who prefer to use public market vehicles for at least some part of their Bitcoin exposure. GBTC facilitates that, and historically that demand and the lack of other alternatives has produced a premium and this is especially true when markets are rising. Which brings us to last year. After the COVID crash, markets were rising, effectively all year. I've spent plenty of time on the narrative dimension of this. Be honest, how many of you guys can now recite the first paragraph of Paul Tudor Jones' great monetary inflation thesis? But correspondingly, there was something going on that fit more cleanly in this market structure bucket, and that had to do with the GBTC NAV trade. The NAV trade was basically a process by which firms took their Bitcoin and made it instantly more valuable by exchanging it for GBTC shares, which were then worth a premium to the value of the BTC that was exchanged for them. The trade-off, of course, was that those shares were locked up for six months, but on paper those trades were lucrative right out of the gates. There was a lot of this trade happening for a lot of last year. Some were general Bitcoin and crypto bulls who were just taking advantage of this particular arbitrage opportunity. But according to others, there are more than a few opportunists as well. One of the most important developments in this space is that community banks, regional banks, and credit unions can now start offering Bitcoin to their customers. That's right. Checking, saving, and now Bitcoin. It's all happening seamlessly thanks to a platform by Nidig that offers institutional-grade custody and compliance. They're also the sponsor of The Breakdown, and if you want to find out more, go to nydig.com slash nlw. That's n-y-d-i-g dot forward slash nlw. On Luke Martin's show, Profit Maximalist, Twitter famous Loomdart said that he saw a pretty meaningful number of firms and funds last year use the paper gains of the GBTC nav trade as a way to blunt other failures and losses. The example he used was that if a fund bought $100 million when the premium was 20%, they could immediately book $20 million in profit on paper, even though there was that six-month lockup. This could, as you might imagine, cover all manner of sins. And that premium was available. There were record high premiums towards the end of last year, getting all the way to 40% on December 17th. And whatever the combination of reasons that companies were buying GPTC shares, It feels clear in retrospect that the run-up in Bitcoin's price was correlated with GBTC buying. Lynn Alden shared a chart that showed this dramatically. What's more, she showed that as the premium turned to a discount, Grayscale stopped buying and that within a couple months, Bitcoin had started to fall again. On June 28th, she tweeted, Bears focusing on Tether's impact on Bitcoin over the past year would have probably done better to focus on the Grayscale neutral arbitrage trade instead. When new competition resulted in the market taking away GBTC's premium to NAV, the biggest Bitcoin buyer stopped buying. In other words, part of the run-up in the second half of 2020 was due to the grayscale neutral arbitrage trade sucking in a ton of Bitcoin. When ETFs and other new ways to access Bitcoin made GBTC less unique, the premium went away so the neutral ARB trade went away. Then of course, after the biggest buyer vanished, add retail investors pouring into altcoins to euphoric levels, Elon's ESG backtracking, leveraged traders getting liquidated on the correction, momentum traders stepping away, etc. She goes on, the biggest BTC buyer in Q2 2020 was Grayscale. When GBTC's premium over NAV turned into a discount in late February 2021, the neutral arbitrage trade dried up and Grayscale stopped buying. It now gradually sells BTC to fund expenses. Thus, the biggest buyer vanished, and a lot of that was the neutral arbitrage trade. So, as you can see, Lin's focus here is how the end of that particular trade ended a particular buy pressure that had been key in driving prices up. But this week, that's only been a part of the focus of the discussion. Where Twitter has really been focused is on what happens as the shares that were bought six months ago actually unlock. Will this be bearish or bullish? The opinions are extremely split. In JP Morgan's latest analysis, they consider it a bearish force. They wrote, quote, Despite some improvement, our signals remain overall bearish. Selling of GBTC shares exiting the six-month lockup period during June and July has emerged as an additional headwind for Bitcoin. As Coindesk puts it, quote, After unlocking, investors have the option of liquidating their shareholdings in the secondary market. Analysts at J.P. Morgan foresee investors selling at least some of their shares, leading to downward pressure on GBTC prices and on Bitcoin markets more generally. On June 23rd, Meltem Demirors wrote, One thing we haven't discussed yet, the grayscale GBTC unlock schedule is looking really crusty. From mid-April to mid-June, 139,000 Bitcoin worth of shares have unlocked. There's another 140,000 Bitcoin worth of shares that will unlock through the end of July. Yeesh. Ben Davenport pointed out on Lynn Alden's thread that it wasn't just that Grayscale had stopped buying Bitcoin. He said, spot on, and it's actually worse than that. The negative premium causes new marginal buyers of Bitcoin to be more attracted to buy GBTC than to buy spot, since discount will eventually close upon ETF conversion. What he's referring to is the fact that Grayscale has signaled their commitment to transform the trust into a Bitcoin ETF, and at that point there will no longer be a discount or a premium, it will just mirror the price of Bitcoin, which means, in effect, this discount is just a discount on the eventual price of BTC. Celsius's Alex Mashinsky made a similar point, saying one, GBTC discount will increase to as much as 25%, two, funds that will want to capture the ARB will short BTC and buy GPTC at the high discount. But as I said, there is not consensus about this. Lark Davis wrote an entire thread with more than 3,000 likes about just how wrong this perspective was. He tweets, Later in July, starting from the 13th, Grayscale will begin the unlock of around 41,000 Bitcoin worth of GBTC shares. But WTF does this actually mean, and should you be worried? One, FUD master-in-chief JP Morgan is saying that it will dump Bitcoin to 25 I tend to never believe what these criminal financial terrorists say as a rule of thumb. The single biggest one-day unlock in July will be 16,244 Bitcoin worth of shares on the 18th. The Bitcoin for these shares were locked on January 18th. You may notice I keep saying shares. This is because no spot Bitcoin is being released to market. Instead, it is GBTC Trust shares. Grayscale investors are forced into a six-month lockup, and the investors from January are now getting their shares. So will the share unlocks cause a catastrophic price crash for Bitcoin? Let's look at the numbers. No spot Bitcoin being released to market. I can't emphasize this point enough. Here are some curious points to consider. There were around 35k Bitcoin of shares unlocked June 20th to 23rd, during which Bitcoin also dropped 20%. It also coincided with the biggest China FUD news and minor sell-off. Want some more interesting numbers? December 19th to 21st saw 15k Bitcoin shares release, price dropped 10%. Big releases in early February had no negative effect since Tesla and Musk forced the markets higher. March 22nd and 24th saw 17,000 Bitcoin worth of shares being released. Bitcoin dropped 14%. Here's the real big story. From April 14th, the top, until May 20th, one day post bottom, a total of 77,000 Bitcoin worth of GBTC shares were released. The biggest single day release in that period, May 20th, one day after the bottom. With someone shorting in advance of this release, this mega unlock period corresponds to a 50% drop in Bitcoin price. It is possible this is correlation and not causation, yes but you must admit it is super suspiciously timed. Remember, no actual Bitcoin is being released to market, and yet the correlation is incredible. Why are the markets dumping in unison with GBTC unlocks if no spot dumping is happening? It seems very clear that the institutions are shorting big time before major releases. It is likely they will short the coming unlock of 41,000 Bitcoin worth of shares in late July. Final thoughts. In theory, a GBTC release should have no market impact on spot prices. But, this market, like all markets, is massively manipulated and the GPTC product is too complex for most investors, so it allows manipulators to prey on you by spreading misinformation. The good news is that after July, there won't be any more big GBTC unlocks anytime soon, so August will likely be quite bullish as the effect of the institution shorting GBTC releases subsides. What am I doing? Same old, same old, buying Bitcoin on a regular basis and if the manipulators drop it in late July due to this malarkey, then I will buy more. So as you can see, Lark has some theories around manipulation in the market, but either way, he's not really worried. He sees this as, if anything, a transitory temporary phenomenon. Willy Woo also had a threat on this. He wrote, "JP Morgan is bearish on the GBTC unlock coming up. Here I'll go through the inner working so you can make up your own mind. There are two impacts, one bullish, one bearish. The key is in how they interact. In my opinion, it'll be immediately bullish. Grayscale is a unique product. It's designed as a black hole that sucks in Bitcoin. No Bitcoin ever leaves the trust apart from Grayscale taking its 2% management fees from the holdings. This is the only way to reduce the GBTC inventory. How does GBTC increase its holdings? They allow accredited investors to add BTC into the trust holdings in return for receiving shares in the trust, which normally trades at a premium to BTC. This is the so-called carry trade. It's historically been a lucrative trade. At times, the premium has traded at over 100% to the underlying BTC the trust. The only catch is you have to hold your shares for six months before you can sell them. The upcoming GBTC unlock we are referring to are these shares unlocking and being available to be sold for cash. There are two impacts on the markets. 1. Derivatives Playing the carry trade. A. Buy Bitcoin spot, put it into Grayscale. B. Receive GBTC shares. C. Short BTC futures to hedge risk. D. Earn yield from shorting Bitcoin. E. Earn the GBTC premium. Unlocking. F. Sell GBTC shares for USD. G, unhedge shorts. G is bullish. Effectively, what Willie is saying here is that part of this trade involved inherently shorting Bitcoin as a hedge, and when the trade itself unwinds, so too do those shorts. For his second market impact, he discusses the same sort of incentive that Ben Davenport was talking about before. He writes two spot markets. When GBTC shares unlock and get sold, The GBTC premium drops, share price drops relative to the Bitcoin in the trust. Investors now have more incentive to buy GBTC shares rather than BTC. It diverts some of the buying pressure on Bitcoin spot markets. This is bearish. One, the derivatives impact is sudden and directly impactful, while two, the spot market impact acts very slowly. The overall impact over the long term is neutral, as it's all arbitrage which balances out in time. What we are analyzing is the short-term demand and supply imbalances which may impact price. There's one more take on this that I want to add in, and it comes from a post by QCP Capital. Effectively, their argument is that this is overblown and we're only discussing it as much as we are because we have nothing else to discuss. They write, The upcoming unlocks are for institutional holders who subscribed directly to GBTC six months ago, and this batch consists of all the new Q1 2021 positions, largely ARK's last tranche. To state clearly, we don't expect these unlocks on its own to have significant impact on the overall market outside of GBTC itself. Most of the large institutional positions who had subscribed in kind before have already been unlocked earlier, and they have held off selling at the current discounted price. Moreover, we know a large chunk of ARK's stake is for a variety of their current ETFs like their next-generation internet ETF. The fact that the market is so focused on something like this just shows the lack of real catalysts of market-moving events right now. Let's wrap this up, and what to make of all of this? Well, for one, I genuinely have no idea what combination of bullish and bearish it is, and I don't think I'm alone either. Altcoin Psycho asked a couple of days ago, is the GBTC unlock this month bullish or bearish? Two days later and 140 comments later, there is no consensus. I will say that one perspective that probably also deserves some airtime is the efficient market hypothesis take, which is that GBTC unlocks are already priced in, given that we've known about them for the entire duration of the trade. But That would require a whole episode on the efficient markets hypothesis, so I think I'll pass that for now. If I was really pushed, I think my argument would be that the unlock phenomenon is ultimately a pretty transitory phenomenon, and one that, given that no one can really seem to decide what the outcome will be, is likely to net out to fairly neutral, with only a little impact one direction or the other. What seems more significant to me is simply acknowledging how tied into the run-up the GBTC nav trade was in the first place. In other words, the most bearish thing about Grayscale isn't the set of unlocks, it was the shift from a premium to a discount and the consequent loss of perhaps the biggest buying pressure we had in the space. That helped stop the momentum going into the absolute barrage of FUD that characterized the last quarter. Ultimately, like I said at the beginning, I'm always interested to understand more about market structure and the forces shaping markets that aren't just the narratives that make so much intuitive sense to my brain. So hopefully this journey has been helpful for you as well. If you still have questions, hit me up on Twitter at NLW and I'll do my best to get them answered. For now, guys, I appreciate you listening. If you're enjoying the show, please go rate and review it. It makes a big difference. And until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.